Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew chapter 13. Again, we welcome those who would be visiting with us. We welcome those who are joining online with us this morning. Uh, It was wonderful last Sunday. I understand we had 27 uh, join, families join online, and so that was delightful. Uh, And we thank our online church membership. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, if you have that, want to read it this morning. Verse 44, Jesus is speaking these words. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Let's just ask the Lord to guide us this morning. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what it means regarding this treasure hidden. Show us a little deeper what you were trying to say to the crowd at that time and what you were trying to say through the eternalness of this word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Now, here's, here, let me read this text again. Let's put it up here. Let's look at it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, he sold all he had. Everything he had, he got rid of. You see that? He got rid of everything he had to buy this field. Got rid of everything for the field. So here's the question. Do you feel sorry for this man? He gave up everything. (laughs) Right? Okay, let's do it. And sold all he had and bought that field. What would it take for me to sell everything I have? Wouldn't wouldn't that solicit your pity? Like, sad to be you. You you got rid of everything. Wow, you really got the raw deal. You let everything go? Sold all he had to buy this field. So, uh, did it cost him everything? Well, he chose to get rid of everything. But Jesus tells the story for us not to pity him. We're not to pity the traveler. Jesus actually wants us to envy him. So this is not to feel sad for the guy who gave up everything. This is to actually be happy for him. So what's Jesus saying? Be happy for this man. Jesus is saying the sacrifice of having gotten rid of everything he owned is not to be compared to what he was about to get. What he's about to get pales everything he had before. The reward exceedingly goes beyond what he ever had. That's what Jesus is getting across. Am I not correct? The parable or the story. It may have cost him everything he owns, but it gained him everything that mattered. And then in verse 44, note the part, in his joy. This man was not sad because he got rid of everything. This man was over the top. 
he was filled with joy. He wasn't exchanging in this story lesser treasure for are exchanging great, his greater treasure for lesser treasure. It was to the contrary. He was exchanging lesser treasure for greater treasure. And he didn't do it out of duty. Nobody made him. Nobody commanded him. He didn't feel compelled. He wasn't told to do this. This was his decision. And he did it in joy. Now this story is an object lesson. And this object lesson is really where I want to just park for the next few minutes. What are heavenly treasure what is it to be able to experience what this man Jesus says there's an experience that any man woman or child can experience that will take you over the top in joy and he describes that in this the story of the man who let go what he owned for something he found in that field hmm. so the lesson here, no matter how great the value of earthly fortune, no matter how much Wayne can accumulate, no matter how much you can accumulate, and just begin to think of what is it that is assets that you have. Clothes that you wore today, you, your, um, your devices, your entertainments, your home maybe if you own a home, your vehicles that you drive, bank accounts, uh, Pensions that you're putting away for. what You know, the things you've accumulated. Property, perhaps. Jewelry. Uh, investments, maybe in gold or silver or whatever it might be. The things that you have invested in. You've purchased. You've bought. Things that may be a part of your living everyday cycle. He is saying no matter how great the value of anything on this earth. It would be worthless in compared to this great treasure. Well, I'm, I'm leaning forward. What's he talking about? This great treasure in comparison. So let me start with the story. I'm going to start with um, some of you young families. And, and those who aren't so young. Uh, it can be quite an experience going grocery shopping with your kids. Your young kids. And I don't know if it was good for you or bad for you. Going grocery shopping with your young kids. I, it was a mixture for us. It was funny, honestly, it was some of the funny, and it was some of the most exasperating times in our life, grocery shopping with our kids. And there were, especially in the cereal aisle, because next thing I know, they're dropping a box of cereal into the grocery cart without talking to us. And that's a no-no. And so I pick up the box of cereal, and I read to see what is it about this box of cereal they really want. And I read it, the vitamin-charged oat brand fibers pellets, and I'm ready to throw up. Who's going to eat that in our home? Ah. And then I turn the box over, big letters, free, inside. Now, every Lucas knows when there's the word free, you get excited. Free inside. Now I understand the reason the box landed up in the cart. Free inside. And so I turn to the kids, and I, I, I say, guys, are you on a health kick or something? You know, they're 10 years old. Are you on a health kick? Well, no. And, and so why do you want the box? Oh, we, we, we will eat it. And I said, you won't eat this. Oh, we will eat it. Oh, we want it. No, Dad, get it. Dad, get it. Dad, get it. And I know my kids will not eat it. And, of course, as I continue to look, I say, it, it, they're free. There's a game that you can play on your computer. It's free in the box somewhere. 
You won't eat the cereal. Oh, but dad will try. And I, kids, $5.69 for this little box. It's not worth it. Oh, but dad will try. And I realize there's a prize at the bottom of the box. So it doesn't matter if that prize is worth 50 cents. And the box is inflated in order to pay for that. And nobody's going to really want to eat that horrible stuff. And, but they want the prize. The prize is at the bottom. And of course, when we get home, what did you do? The hand's down through because it's always at the bottom. And it's, cr and it's crushing everything going down to the bottom to pull out that prize. Okay. They're attracted to that prize. Let me take you to a scripture. Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now consider for a moment what Jesus is saying. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. He's saying this. Don't store up for yourself treasures. So he's, don't store up for yourself treasures on this earth. Uh, why? Because he says earthly treasures are bad? Is that what he's saying? Because it's bad? No, he's not saying earthly treasures are bad. Why is he telling us not to store up treasures on earth? He says it because, he even says, because they won't last. He says don't store up treasures on earth because no earthly treasure lasts. Proverbs 23, verse 5, says it this way. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Jesus is warning every person. He says that the treasures on earth, don't store up simply treasures on earth, not because the wealth might get lost, because wealth always gets lost. It's 100% guaranteed you're going to lose your wealth. Now, I'm just saying about that. It's 100% guaranteed you're going to lose your wealth. You're going to lose it one of two ways. As he says, moth and rust, it's going to depreciate. You've been to a landfill lately? See sofas and Chesterfields and chairs and barbecues. And, and it's just like, huh. Okay, those were somebody's treasure at one time. They rust, they wear out, they fall apart. They devalue. We don't know what to do with them when they're done. How do we get rid of it? Take it to a thrift store. Maybe somebody will buy our junk. You know, what do we do with it? They will leave us. They rust. They rot. They can get stolen. They can be taken from us. We have to keep getting better. They, they, they fall apart. So either they leave us, but if they don't leave us, you get to leave them. You will leave them one day. I'll even leave this body one day. This body will quit. I will leave this body one day. Every treasure on earth is left behind. Is that fair to say? Every treasure is left behind. I remember somebody telling when we first started into ministry, there's only one thing you can take to heaven. People. Now, I can't force them to go to heaven. But that's the only thing I touch on this earth that's eternal is another person. Everything else is left behind. Either it rots and goes to the landfill, or I leave it. But one way or the other, I've just finished reading Ecclesiastes, and the Solomon 
is lamenting over all the things he accumulated and he knows he's got to leave it all. And he calls it futility. The futility of living. And so Jesus is saying, he's calling us on this. He's calling us here saying, uh, listen, you leave it. 100% guaranteed you leave all treasures here on earth. So therefore, don't make them your treasure. Don't make anything here your treasure is his call. Because it won't last. Um, Now, Jesus doesn't just tell us where not to put our treasures. So don't put your treasures on this earth. He actually tells us to invest. So he says, I want you, though, to lay up treasure. Matthew chapter 6, we go back to the scripture we read a moment ago. Matthew 6, 20. He says, store up for yourself treasures. Here's the word treasure. In heaven. So he's not against treasures. He's all for treasures. The right kind of treasures. So he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, if you were to read that passage that we read earlier, if you went back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, if we can maybe go there, an earlier passage, Matthew 6, 19, let's start at verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, if you stopped reading that passage right there, you would think God is against you storing up treasures for yourself, period. But he never stopped there. He went on to the next verse. He went on to the next verse. He's all for you storing up treasures. He's all for me storing up treasures. As a matter of fact, he commands me to store up treasures. He's not against storing up treasures. Jesus has a heavenly treasure mentality. He wants me to store up treasures. He's just telling me to quit putting it in the wrong place. He's saying naturally, you leave yourself to yourself. In society's world, you will store your treasures in the wrong place. So don't do it. He says, store up treasures. I want you to store up treasures. He is saying, store up for yourselves treasures. Now, at first, I looked at that and I thought, that's kind of selfish. Store up for myself treasure. Isn't that kind of selfish? We we don't want to, for myself, store up for your... He actually says, store up for yourself treasures. And here's the point. When you store up for yourself treasures in heaven, it's not selfish. God doesn't have a limited number of treasures to distribute. When you store up for yourself in treasures, you take from no one. Because heaven is bountiful in the amount of treasures it has. I can store up all the treasures in heaven, and there's still that many treasures for every single person on this earth to store up treasures in heaven. Heaven can't run dry in treasures. So it's not selfish. It's not me taking for me. It's It's filled with treasures, heavenly treasures. Heaven abounds with treasures. There is a limitless supply, so it doesn't reduce treasures for anyone else. In fact, it is by serving God and others that we actually store up heavenly treasures. Matthew chapter 19, 29, it says that if I store up treasures in heaven, it has a 10,000% return. 10,000%. Now, I have an investment in the bank. Many of you do, too. And I would jump and click my heels if I could get it up to 1.5%. You know what I'm talking about. If I could get it up to 1.5% right now, I'd click my heels. I never thought I'd get excited about a 1.5%. You know how long it takes to get anything out of 1.5%? That doesn't keep up with inflation. And yet, I would be excited about 1.5%. 
He says if you store up your treasures in the right place, you have a 10,000, 10,000. He said it will increase 100-fold. 100, 10,000% increase the treasures in heaven. This is what happened to a church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me tell you about this church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's called the Macedonian Christians. Macedonian Christians because it was in the city of Macedonia. And this was a group of pocket of believers in the city of Macedonia. And they were undergoing some seriously hard times. They were living in a time of deep Roman persecution. Families were dying. Families were pulled apart. Children were taken. And parents, some grandparents were killed simply because they were followers of Christ. And there was deep persecution. And if that didn't happen, they lost their jobs because of their faith. They lost their place in community because of their faith. There was things that were negative because they were followers of Christ. They lived in a time of persecution. Now, I'm just going to pause that. 2020, 2021, we live in a time of pandemic. Now, maybe a little bit of a comparison because there is maybe some loss of jobs, difficult times that we're facing. But it's really hard to compare to a time of, of dying for the faith. But I'm going to compare it because I think there is some small margins of comparison here. And so they were living in a time of persecution. We're living in a time of pandemic here. And here they, these believers in the time of persecution, here's what was happening. Many of them out of their jobs. Many of them suffering. Many of them hurt. And yet these Macedonians refused to let the hard times keep them from a joy. We read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. Here it is. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They're begging. They're pleading. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Their leaders knew how tough the times were. The leaders knew how they were suffering in their families. And many of them did not have enough food for the end of the day. They understood this. No doubt their leaders knew that as they tried to collect funds and tried to help one another, the provisions were running out. And they were, the leaders, trying to help them, saying, uh, you guys, I know you're under a burden. I know you're struggling right now. I know that your property, you're selling your property, you're, you're giving up things right now. And so it's okay if you don't give. That's what the leaders were doing. That's why this text was written. The leaders are saying, it's okay you don't give because you're going through hard times. It's okay for you to step back because times are difficult. That's what was happening here. And yet, this is a most amazing story. Although the leaders were saying this, the people, go back to that text, urgently pleaded with us, let us have the privilege to give. Don't rob me of the privilege of giving. Don't steal it from me. And I'm sure the leaders just wanted to say, hey, you're exempt from giving because of your poverty. There's a reason you don't have to give. Back a number of years ago, uh, when I was pastoring, um, there was an usher. I would have the ushers come forward, and often I would ask one of the ushers to pray for the offering. And this usher was in the habit of praying this prayer, dear Lord, bless those who can give and those who can't give. And so I went to that person afterward, and, and I said, um, those who can give and those who can't give, where'd you come up with that prayer? And he said, well, I've heard that prayer prayed many a time. And so I, I prayed that prayer. I thought it was a good prayer. And I said, I'm, I'm not sure if that's biblical even. Um, I just bless in our givings. And so next time he came back, and he prayed the same prayer again. He, you know, Lord, bless those who can give and those who can't give. So I went to him, and I said, okay, tell me who can't give. 
And, and it, wasn't because, it wasn't about getting money. It had nothing to do with that. It was about this principle of the treasure. Tell me who can't give. And he said, well, there's people who, who are on pension, and they can't give. And I said, well, do they receive something in order to live? Well, yes. Well, they give something. Well, there's people unemployed. But do they receive something in order to survive? Yes. Well, they can still give gifts something. Well, what about the children and teenagers? Well, do they get an allowance? Do they have some, something? I remember when my allowance started at 25 cents. Try to figure out how to give 2.5 cents. Well, back then you could with pennies. And of course, my parents said, son, you got to top it up to three. And, and so it was like everybody can give something. And that's the Macedonian church. They were saying, don't you steal this from us. You look at our situation, and our situation is dire, but we can give something. We can give out of what we have. And Jesus would make comment when he would look at the widow, who in that day, the widow did not have a widow's pension. The widow did not have sort of government subsidy. The widow often was out there begging and scrapping and was under the mercy of neighbors and friends to be able to live one more day. And that widow came, and she put her small two pennies worth in the offering, and Jesus stood up straight and said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is about. That's treasure right there. And what she has in her account exceeds those with bags of money. Jesus, our Lord, who understands eternal riches, he understands us, spoke into that situation. And so in that dialogue, I was successfully able to get my usher to stop saying that. Those who can give and those who can't give. No, no, no. That is a mindset that is not actually biblical. If you were to question these Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, dirt poor people, but they begged, give us the privilege. We want to serve each other. There's, we want to give to each other. We want the privilege of doing this. So I'm going to break this down to three things, as I see from this text, that has been a monitoring of my own life. Number one, grace giving. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 6 that their giving was an act of grace. What does that mean? An act of grace. If you do a little search on that, the act of grace, that where it says giving was an act of grace, um, is the same expression as Christian giving. Act of grace, Christian giving. They were put together. Grace, God's grace defines, motivates, and puts in perspective our giving, a commentator said. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And you kind of go, huh? Do that again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was, yet for your sake became poor. What? Came down in human flesh. So that you, through his poverty, because he came flesh, might become rich to know where whence he came from. You might experience heavenly treasure. The point was, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace has touched a life, the natural response is to generously give. Grace giving. When God's grace has touched my life, a stirring takes place. I want to give. It's a byproduct of his grace. It's a byproduct of God's touching my heart and my life. As he ministers to me, out flows grace in my life. Out flows generosity in my life. I want to give. 
And the scripture actually talks, it overflows then with joy. Not only do I give, but joy of giving. There's an excitement. Your pulse increases with every opportunity. I can give. I can give back. Love transforms us. I have to give money. I have to give of myself. It's not the destination here. Grace is the destination. I am loved, so I freely give. Grace, giving. I don't give out of duty or compulsion. I give because God's grace has touched me. And out of his grace, I give. I give. Secondly, how do these Macedonians get to the place where they begged and urgently plead, don't take away the privilege of giving to the saints? How did they get there? Secondly, it's called joyful giving. It was joyful giving. I don't know if you've heard of John Wesley. Uh, he was the founder of the Methodist Church in England back in the 1700s. Once a distraught man rode his horse up to John Wesley, shouting, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened, out of breath. He said, your house has burned to the ground. Wesley weighed the news, then is reported to have calmly replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. Now, was his actions actions of denial or maybe they were actually actions of reality God is the owner of all of this and so I'm a steward of it and if he takes it so be it I was merely stewarding it anyway 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 let's read this part in that text it says God loves a cheerful giver now does that mean I have to be, when I'm cheerful, I can give? Now, if that was the case, many times I wouldn't be giving. <laughs> you know, if I have to wait to be happy, you know, ooh, let's throw this away, you know, I probably wouldn't do it very often. No, that's not, that's not what it's talking about. That would exclude most of us at all times. No, give, give, then what's the joy it gives you? Give, then watch what happens to you. Ah. Uh, how many, okay, I'm just going to ask the question. I have to ask. I, was, I wasn't going to have any, somebody told me one time, never ask for audience participation when you're talking about money. Okay. But I'm going to ask a question. How many have experienced that, that when you gave, you experienced joy? How many have experienced it? Okay, I know that. That's what he's talking about. As you give, then watch what happens to your heart. Watch what happens to your emotions. Don't wait for it ahead of time that you get giddy about giving. Because naturally speaking, that usually doesn't happen. But give, be generous. And then take an inventory. How were you before? How were you after? You'll discover that frequently there is a joy that you didn't know prior to the release of what you just did. I don't know if you've ever received a gift from someone. I'm going to ask again. Now that I've got audience participation thing going here. I'm going to ask again. How many here, you received a gift from somebody at some time in your life. You received a gift from somebody who was in a much worse situation than you and it deeply touched you. How many experienced that? Okay, some of you have experienced that. I've experienced it a few times. I remember we were, uh, this is back in our early 20s, really struggling financially. And somebody came to our door and they had a monetary gift for us. Uh, and it wasn't a huge gift, but for us it was significant. And the person who gave it was in worse shape than we were. We knew that. They had, a, they had a family, a large family, and they were going through some really difficult things. And 
I, I didn't actually want to take it because like they're in worse situations. I mean, somebody wealthy came and gave it to me. It's one, one thing, right? But they weren't. They were struggling. And they gave me because they just said, I really feel you need, to get, you need this. I want to give this to you. I remember I, that clearly impacted me. I remember when we were, I was on a mission trip. And this a number of years ago, I was on a mission trip. And we had to leave a particular area we had gone to six, seven years consecutively. I had built a friendship with one of the pastors of a church. And we had been, I had helped, you know, put concrete on the floor with this pastor. I helped beams across the ceiling. We used old railway ties. I had helped. We sat meals together. We ate together. We couldn't speak a lick of each other's language. Everything had to be translated. We even got a picture of each other. We put a big bone, and, and he took one end of the bone, and I had the other end of a big bone from a chicken. And we were like, you know, and, and we had a picture of us, and I still have it to this day, him, him on one end, me on the other, and fighting over this bone like a couple dogs, you know. And his name was Adolfo, and, and my, my son went down, and, and he became my son's favorite person just because of his compassion and his heart. And, and we prayed over his wife, and she got pregnant. The whole story. And then, and then she needed medicine for her uh, stomach, and, and God provided it. And it was just miracle after miracle, six to seven years. And then we had to leave the area. We wouldn't, wouldn't be coming back. Haven't been back for 13 years. And when he learned of it, he had no vehicle. He had no bicycle. He had nothing. And he hitchhiked. He stopped vehicles on the road. To make his way to where we were, we were an hour and a half from where he was. He made his way to where, and he got, before he got there, he had put together and he actually couldn't see me in person because it just, he couldn't get there. His, his, he got limited and somebody else had to take it for him. And he brought me this gift. And he had worked on this gift. He bought some of it and he put it together and he made this gift and he gave it to me. And now ask me, like he, my, like he needed whatever he put into this gift more than I do. He gave out of his poverty because he understood, and I know this guy, the joy of giving is what he lived for. Now, I didn't put that gift with all my other little trinkets I've received from the dollar store. That gift sits up in my mantle. It's actually in my office. It sits up in a mantle. I look at it, and I remember his extravagant heart, his extravagant heart. He gave out of his poverty. And that gift means something, and it does to you. Those who put their hands up, you know when somebody has sacrificed and they've given you something, how much that moves your heart. And when... They give the gift. If you were to say no and deny it because of their poverty, you would have robbed them of their joy. Yet when you accept it and you turn away and you look back at them, they're not from ear to ear a smile on their face. They gave it. They gave it out of their need. The sacrifice made them happy. Exodus 36 verse 5 tells us when the children of Israel out of their difficult circumstances began to build the tabernacle. They got so caught up in the joy of building this tabernacle that the Bible says the leaders actually had to restrain them. Stop giving. They kept bringing and dragging stuff. They were taking earrings off. To, you know, Probably husbands taking their wives' earrings out. Here, let's, let's do some more. And the leaders said, stop it. We've got more than enough here. And the Bible says they restrained them. Why? Because the joy had risen in their heart, the joy of giving. It's called joyful giving. Joyful giving. The third thing that impacted that Macedonian church was overflow giving. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 picks up on this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. In other words, I merely manage what God provides for me here on this earth. Remember, we understand we can't take anything with us. 
Either, either it rots and dies or stolen from us or we leave it. One way or the other. Everything, everything is left here. So God says, don't store up your treasure here. Now store up actively every single day, every week, every month. Store up treasures in heaven instead. And heavenly treasures will deal with people. It will deal with service. It will deal with that which is eternal. Store up for yourself that which is for eternity. So we understand here that we manage God's money. I don't own it. Therefore, when I give liberally, I'm actually not, it's his. You know, it's a whole lot easier when you realize it just kind of flows through. So why is it we struggle? Why is it I struggled so much with this a number of years ago? I really struggled with this. Why do I struggle with the principle of giving? And I'm going to suggest our society. I honestly understand because I'm the first generation, a child of a survivor of World War II. I'm the child of a survivor of the Great Depression. I'm a child. My, my mother is 97 years old. My father would have been 97 years old. I'm a child of that generation. I understand that generation. To the degree that as a child of that generation, that generation was a generation that's always running out of stuff. Always running out. And we live in a time. We live in a world of running out of things. Our cell phones are running out of power. Our batteries are running out. Our cell phones are quitting. They have limited time. They have limited minutes, limits to them. There's only so much you can do. Our cars can only hold so much gas. We run out of gas. Our vacation time runs out. Our monthly budget seems to disappear down rabbit holes. Globally, we're told that our oil supply in a few decades will run out. We're told that there's too many people in the world. Our food is running out. Our space is running out. Our oxygen is running out. You get the point? We are in a world that's running out. That's our society. We've grown up in that. That's what we've known. A world that runs out. So here it is. You and I are conditioned to think in terms of limits. Limits. Society says that you start from the position of not having anything and you claw your way to getting something. That's what it is. You hear valedictorian speeches at universities and colleges. Okay, go from here and get something in life. And it's not all wrong. You need to serve with excellence. I believe that. But it is wrong if you think that that is the kingdom principle. Because God approaches life from the exact opposite angle. He operates not from you start with nothing. He operates from you start with overflow. As a child of God, and we talked about two weeks ago, that we need to possess our inheritance. The inheritance is unlimited. The inheritance is overflow. He owns the cattle. He owns everything. We start with God. The maker, creator, owner of everything. And from that perspective, we start from overflow and we go the other direction. So no, we don't start from I have nothing and I clawed to get something. We start from I have everything in Christ Jesus and now I'm going to live to give it away. You see the difference? So why is it we struggle with sacrificial giving? It's because we live in a world of limits. A world that has taught us Claw your way to get it. And Jesus is saying, back this one up. You've already have treasures eternal. Now store up your reward in the treasures eternal. And in that, it is through what you give away. 
He approaches it from the principle of overflowing. In God's kingdom, the successful man or woman is the one who gives. Isn't it John chapter 3, verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave. There's the principle. He gave. And out of that, he pours out of himself. That Jesus in Philippians 2 didn't seem didn't call it being equal with the, that he would bring himself out of equality with the Father so that he might give to a world. And then Jesus turns around and says, that's heavenly treasure. And so we go back to the story of the man who came across this treasure in a field and he sold everything. No, it was a good day for him. <laughs> it was a good day because he realized what he just found is heavenly. What he just found, no one can steal from me. And that when he dies, he has a 10,000 increase. He's actually truly stored something for eternity. I was at a um, Promise Keepers retreat one time with a bunch of men. Promise Keepers was a men's movement calling men to be better husbands, better fathers. I was at a retreat. The speaker was speaking and the speaker held up a $100 bill. And he asked if any of the men wanted this $100 bill, I looked around and three-quarters of the hand shot up. And then what the speaker did next, he spit on that $100 bill. Spit on that $100 bill. And then he asked, how many still want the $100 bill? And I saw all the same hands went back up. Now, that's a pretty gross $100 bill right now, in my opinion. But they know that if you wipe the spit off, it's still worth a hundred bucks, right? And of course, this guy's illustration, he was illustrating, just in case you're wondering, he was illustrating that we are all wonderfully and fearfully made by God, and even though the devil has spit on you, you still have infinite worth. That's what he was trying to get across. It was a pretty good point. Here's my point this morning. I didn't put up my hand. I wasn't numbered among the three quarters because I had been understanding over a few years what the heavenly treasure principle is about. And I understood this, that if I took that $100 bill, it was never mine. And God's going to, be, going to expect me to turn that into 200 or 300 or 400. You know what I'm saying? I'm not allowed to take that 100 and go and buy myself something. If I take that $100 bill, it's God's. And in God's economy, because it comes from the place of overflow, he's overflowing it into my life so that I will pour it into somebody else's life. And I'm simply not to let it go through. I've got to reach into my wallet and add something to it. Now, when I do, joy will follow. But I knew that. I know that. So I didn't put my hand up. I wasn't frivolous about it because every time a gift is given... It's going to bless someone else. And so I have to think a little bit about it before I raise my hand. Because it's going to cost me something before I invest in that heavenly treasure. If you follow with me. So the spiritual law goes like this. Our human capacity to receive is functional in direct proportion to our capacity to give. And it's hindered in direct proportion to our perceived desperate need to get. Do that again. Our human capacity to receive is functional in direct proportion to our capacity to give. And our human capacity to receive is hindered in direct proportion to our perceived desperate need to get. A man stood by the graveside of a Yale graduate, prestigious 
University. Stood by the graveside of a Yale graduate who was heir to great wealth, but the man had committed his life to Christ. He denied himself, took up his cross, and he followed Jesus. And he had given in his lifetime over $100,000 to missionary work, but he died tragically at the age of 25. The man stood at the graveside of this 25-year-old who had died, who was heir to great wealth, graduate of a prestigious university, and yet had given everything away. And at the tombstone, the tombstone that marked his resting place, it had overgrown with weeds and it looked like he had been forgotten. That same person would, in their city, would come to the museum, the exhibit of King Tut. If you understand a little bit about that, King Tut, 17 years of age, when he died at 17, again, a tragic age to die. That young boy king in Egypt was buried with solid gold chariots, golden coffins, and tons of gold all around him. The Egyptians believed in the afterlife where they could take their wealth, all their earthly treasure, they could take it with them. One tomb was filled with extravagance. The other tomb in all intents and purpose looked like it had been forgotten. What's the difference between those two? Well, the tragic story is King Tut would learn too late that none of it you get to take with you. None of it. Unless he was a follower of Christ, when he stands before his God, he will give account for what he stored up. And it didn't make it. Where on the other hand, the Yale graduate who gave up his great treasures and gave it all away to invest in heavenly treasure, when he steps to the golden shore, he will see abound treasures of lives having been changed. You can lay away your wealth. That's what Jesus is saying. You can lay it away. If you imagine, though, heaven's just a place where we just sit around and listen to harps and we're on cotton balls for the rest of eternity and it's going to be boring, think again. Bible, doesn't, Bible talks a bit about what this looks like. Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. What does it mean to store up heavenly treasure? Luke 6, 22, 23 says we're given rewards for showing compassion to the, to the needy. Matthew 19, 21 says we have unique rewards just because, just because we gave to the poor. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus here keeping record of all we do for him, including our tithes and offerings. Luke chapter 16, 9 says our friends in heaven will be those whose lives you've touched here on earth. wonder how many friends we're going to get. How many lives did I touch? Because they were the heavenly treasure. Philippians chapter 4, 17 speaks of God keeping an account for us in heaven. And every gift given for his glory is a deposit into that account. So I give because grace has touched me. His grace has touched me. And overflows in my life. I give to others. I give because of joy unspeakable. As I release Purpose comes back into my life. Sometimes we don't have purpose because we're trying to get. We don't release. And I give because of overflowing principle. I don't give trying to get something. I give because everything that I am has been freely given. And all the treasures of heaven are it's available to give away. And so I give from the perspective of overflow. Out of his abundance, I give. 
I give. Therefore, if you look at your life in the terms of cause and effect, you'll notice that your life now is directly impacting everything that will happen for eternity. Everything I, the decisions I make today, October 3rd, have implications in eternity. And the decisions I make tomorrow, Monday, have implications into what happens in eternity. Your choices today are directly linked to what you will experience in your eternity. So when it comes to treasures, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. (laughs) Can't take it with you. You can send it on ahead. So Father, I pray, help us to be able to, maybe from this review of the Macedonian church, who they begged for the privilege of being able to serve others. Lord, I ask that you would stir our hearts. Help us, God, because in this moment, we might not be suffering persecution, but we are suffering a mentality of pandemic. And that mentality would have us to hoard, to hold on to, to grab and to claw. And out of fear and anxiety, we begin to put our treasures right here. But Lord, this all goes away. And Jesus, as you spoke into that story in Matthew, you spoke into that story, chapter 13, that don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. In heaven, where it will have a 10,000-fold return. So God, help us to release that for your kingdom Because it translates into people's lives. It translates into people coming to you. It translates into ministering to those who are hurting and suffering and wounded and lost. Translates into all of that. So Lord, help us to take on the heart that you have. And help us to be men and women who grow in the capacity of service to one another. Grant it this day, we pray. We do so with a heart filled with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.